Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Today we have Nick Tuminello returning, and he's brought his friends Vince McConnell. These are some really experienced guys who spent a lot of time working in the trenches with people. And we're going to talk today, obviously we're in the middle of COVID pandemic and a lot of their philosophies and strategies for getting through this. And they're going to distill it down to a lot of the basic principles that still apply. Even this conversation especially deals with the limited resources, the training tools that we all have. And yes, we get into the things like bands and people sometimes complain about it, but listen to what they have to say. It'll take a different perspective. And instead of getting mired in, oh, my style of training, I can't do anymore because I don't have a commercial gym. Think about the underlying principles that apply stress to tissue and to get people the results that they're looking for. So I hope you walk into this one with an open mind and good luck. Take care. Shut up and sit down. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Fitness Devil Podcast and we're continuing on with our series where we're trying to grab up some industry thought leaders, uh, anyone who's listening to it, you know, just as we're releasing them, we're in the middle of the COVID uh, pandemic, you know, shitty times. If you're going back and listening uh, through our archive after, you know, a year and a half or two years, I envy you that you could fast forward past all this bullshit that we're in the middle of right now. Uh, today, we've got a couple of guys who they've been in the trenches, I, that's sort of a cliche term, but we're talking about uh, coaches who have been working with people for a very long time, a couple of decades each plus. Uh, Nick Tuminello, who's been on previously, and Vince McConnell. You guys are pretty good friends as well, so we're really grateful to have both of you on. Please, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks. Great to be here. Yeah. So as we talked about a little bit off air, some of the things that we're hoping to grab from these, uh, these special episodes are, you know, sort of the ideas and philosophies about what you guys are doing now to deal with your current challenges and how you're approaching coming out the other side of it and what the future is going to look like for you. And, and some of these thoughts that may be valuable to anyone who's in a similar boat. So, you know, Vince, let's, let's start with you. And because we've known Nick and we've had him on before, we, but our audience doesn't know as much about you. So if you could quickly introduce yourself and, and a little bit about your training history. Uh, I've been training clients since 1983. And that was back before there was even a, um, a title for, for what I do other than maybe pool boy. I, get, I joke, joke about that a lot is that, um, you know, pool boy fitness instructor, I think was the legal term back then. Uh, there was one, maybe two certifications, I think, and you multiply that and you find out where we are now. Uh, I've had different businesses over the years, a lot of them working out of other facilities, and I've had my own private facility for the last 20 years. And I do the majority of my work out of McConnell Athletics in Fairhope, Alabama working with athletes and general population. And that's, that's a whole, that's one of the things that we'll talk about is how the challenge, and I know Nick has done some of this too, the challenge of working with both general clientele and athletes, because it is two different, not only two different applications in terms of what you're doing, the principles are the same, but the mindset is so different. And, um, and you know, as far as like you mentioned, um, Andrew, about what, you know, what I'm doing now, I'm actually working out of McConnell Athletics 2.0, which is my garage gym, which I have. It's relatively good. Uh, it's well equipped. Um, my wife is having a fit. Uh, she's ready to get rid of me and because uh, I've taken over the entire garage. And, um, and then doing as much online stuff as I can. 
I've always been an in-person trainer from a standpoint. I know a lot of people out there listening will relate to this and that I value that um, the, the body language aspect of what I do from the standpoint of a client coming in and, you know, how are you feeling today? How's your body today? How'd you sleep last night? Um, you know, what do you have coming up this week? Think questions like that. And you can, you can always get answers in a text or in, a, in an email um, or even in a Zoom call, but you can't get the same feedback as you can in person. So I'm having to learn how to handle that part of it, which is a real challenge for me because I am so, so much on the, the personal connection and the, and the one-on-one. And that's, um, as well as in small groups. And then with athletes, it goes to the same thing. You've got an athlete that comes in. I'm always a believer that the program is only as good as the application. So a lot of us that have been in the strength and conditioning world for a long time, we can design a program that looks great on paper. But to get it to, you know, rubber meets the road application is a whole different, um, you know, essential aspect of it. The um, only difference would be if you're a strength coach of a um, – of a team and then you have everybody pretty much on the same program and there are guys that are really good at that. But when you're a personal strength and conditioning coach working with very small groups, the program is always with that little asterisk of, um, you know, can be adjusted accordingly. And that's something that again is difficult to do online or, you know, through just a program that you send somebody. You um, have a lot in common with our friend Chad Landers, who we've had on recently, and uh, he's been in the business, I think, about 26 years and owns a facility in um, North Hollywood. And I think there's there's probably something about that particular generation of coaches, because obviously when you guys started out, there was no online at all. So this is just that human interaction. It was so baked into your experience for so long that it's just a different perspective than someone who's been entering the business for in, within the last three to five years. No, that's, that's a great point because um, obviously there was no YouTube. There was no, there were, there were a lot of benefits to it back then because I could name on one hand the strength conditioning coaches or the, even the personal trainers that I had any level of respect for that I would have to send a, uh, the snail mail, have to send a letter to or get on the phone and talk to, to communicate with. And I was fortunate to have a few mentors at that time that helped me with that and that were, um, that were you know, greatly impactful in my life. But the reality is, is that you had to, it was in the trenches, you had to learn and take handwritten notes with every single person that you trained, every, every client, every athlete that you worked with. It was always, as it should be now, it was always an in-process thing. You couldn't do that quick Google search, you know, when somebody came in and said, hey, you know, I've got this discomfort through here. Not that we're trying to play you know, medical doctor when that happens, but we still want to know a little bit more about the body at that time and find out, okay, what can we do? Now you can do a quick search on YouTube and get 30 different exercises for um, an issue to um, issue. I mean, you know, the thing is, it's, it's just a whole different world right now, but it, it is, it's hard to, it's hard to go into that new territory having come from where I came from. And that, and that was something in, the, my first experience with that was in 1999, maybe with um, with Larie Draper, who's Dave Draper's um, obviously Dave Draper's wife, and she they started that website or the um, Iron Online, and and I got connected with them, and we started. I started it was right when the internet was pretty much beginning to take place from a fitness standpoint, and um, and then there was a magazine that started right around 2000 called Dolph Scene, and it was a fitness magazine where 
Uh, they hired me as the um, exercise science editor. I got to work with guys like Mel Schiff, um, Charles Staley, um, Michael Yeses, you know, guys like that, that immediately I knew who they were. But then that came to life for me in a sense of getting to read their material and understanding how they were conveying their teachings, because that was always something that was, you know, purely in a book that I would read. Again, it wasn't, um, it wasn't things you could read online. Everything was, you read a book, you study, you go to a seminar, you go to um, a, an actual class to learn. And so I had to learn that way. Then when I was able to get, um, you know, get something online and then be able to better digest it that way and even make some comments and give feedback to get that back and forth, that was when the book came to life then, or the message, the, the information came to life, because that's all about what we do is what Nick does for a living. It's that back and forth. It's that presentation, response, response, presentation, response, response. There, nothing in fitness is dead information, meaning that it's just here it is. It's, it doesn't go anywhere. It's always dynamic. The thing is, I shouldn't use the word dead, static. Nothing is static. It's always dynamic. Even scientific truths are dynamic. And that's the way we have to approach what we do. As Otherwise, everybody would be on the same program. We would, our life would be basically just A plus B plus C equals D. End of story. And we just need to worry about our charisma and hope people like us and want to pay us money for giving everybody the same can program. But we all, the four of us know that's not reality in what we do. Everything has variables. And I think that's where the, the real challenge is, is to say, okay, what are principles? Because we need some boundaries. We need some guidelines. You can't just throw stuff out there and, you know, for instance, somebody goes, I want to build big biceps. And somebody goes, hey, well, I'm really good at um, doing burpees. Do a bunch of burpees and your biceps will grow. Well, why do you say that? Well, look at my biceps. I mean, you know, the point is that not everybody starts at the same place. And not everybody's going to get the exact same response from what they do. And I'll leave it at this, and I'll let Nick um, chime in, is that, as I mentioned in the last, um, in that um, webinar, science is involved in everything we do. The application is not the science. So there is science. You don't deny science, but you also don't depend on it to provide the application because everybody is going to respond differently to that science is being applied a certain way, if that makes sense. Yeah, that was sweet. <laughs> you basically gave us a big overview onto like going forward with our conversation of like why you think the way we, you do. And I think that we kind of talked about that before. So it'll be actually a good way to use that as we kind of build upon this. But we mentioned Nick. Nick, different path, but kind of the same principles, but like, what have you been up to and kind of how have you been changing with all of this? And then we can kind of dive into exactly what he was talking about. Yeah. Uh, I haven't been changing one, one dang bit. And I'm not saying that to sound, you know, any sort of way. Uh, if you look at videos that I posted in 2007 on my YouTube, if you look at pictures from training fighters in 2004, you're going to see tons of bands hanging down off of cable columns. You're going to see tons of medicine balls. Um, we've always used on a regular basis, the equipment that a lot of people and, and body weight exercises equipment that a lot of people now are just starting to get more interested in aside from doing some pull aparts and a few shoulder dislocates, you know, where you pull the band behind your head and, and around your waist. And, um, to me, it, 
I, I look at it, and I just kind of, and, and if you look at Vince's videos, you're going to see a lot of colorful toys in, the, in, in, the, in his background, even in his, in his home gym, right? Vince McConnell HQ, the garage. And it's something about it, the generation that um, myself, I, I think I was kind of the last generation of that. I'm not saying that in any sort of cool way, uh, but like the late 90s, early 2000s, we had that boom of the functional training boom. And of course, a lot of people make fun of that and circus acts, yada, yada, yada. Oh, um, but what one of the things that came from that is that it, it wasn't about creativity. People see all these different variations that I post and Vince posts and other people post and they they look at everything based off the barbell. Oh, well, if I can't load it heavy, then blah, blah, blah. You know, and they think it's just being creative to be creative and it's just to be different. Well, it's not that at all what it is 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 that we've had so many different different environments to work in right like i was a strength coach for a high school wrestling team that only got to the gym the actual public school gym twice a week but i had to condition them four times a week so i got 50 kids in a wrestling room with just a bunch of mats how am i going to give them a full workout right so it's like you start getting creative not for creative sake but for necessity right it's make it work adapt and overcome and I came up alert basically with the idea that if you can't train somebody of any level in an elevator, you don't know what the hell you're doing, right? And so I think the field has kind of regressed in a way where everything has gotten more, I always get less color. And I don't mean it, you know, I mean in the way of equipment, right? Bands tend to be red and green and blue and stability balls and all these different, they're not just toys to silly exercises. They're ways to create, you know, overload in addition to barbells and dumbbells or in environments where you don't have access to those things. Well, we're so, doing all the stuff we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. So when I say I'm not really changing much, I've been talking about this stuff for years. And if you see Vince, this has all been part of what he's doing anyway because they're not just pieces of equipment that you use when you they're – not, they're not the B team, right? They're not the backup. They are another tool in your toolbox. And that being said, I've always – uh, I, I, I follow what I call the no gap principle. And it actually is a kind of an A-B split for me in, in how this applies. In one aspect, the no gap principle is a personal thing. And it means the person you see you know, on stage at a conference with 500 people listening or listening to a podcast like this and the person you would meet at Starbucks or if you came over to my house to watch an NFL football game is the same person. There's no gap. I don't have the uh, show host, hey, guys, I'm today, uh, you know, that – there's no fakery there. So that's one no gap. The other no gap principle is has to do with my clients. It has to do with the fact that there should be no gap to what, what I do in my private gym with my clients or at their house that they couldn't carry over right into a big box gym, which means I'm paying attention to logistics. I'm making them capable and familiar with a wide variety of equipment. I'm not making them dependent on barbells and dumbbells, not just because they could go to a hotel or they could go take a vacation somewhere to Costa Rica where they don't have a lot of equipment. And they have to take their bands. But what about in situations where uh, I'm training them in a big box gym and it's 6.30 p.m. when everybody and their dog is working out there and all the equipment I want is taken? What am I going to do, right? So that it shouldn't even be an issue. It just should be no problem. I have many ways to do this. So when it's not being – when we have these different exercises – those are exercises that we have a purposeful way of coming up for. And it basically is how do I load this action or this movement or this muscle, however you want to say it. And then what equipment do I have? And then it's the intersection between those two. And then we just show different ways to do that 
in the non-traditional ways because we've been in many environments where we can't just use barbells or dumbbells. But the problem is people watch those videos and they, all, they only go, well, it's not the basics, so just stick with the basics. All right, great, you could never work for me because I'll send you a, you know, my average day when I'd go to an in-home client who had maybe a full gym set equipment, but their neighbor only had some bands and a low ceiling, so they couldn't even do overhead work unless they were kneeling down, right? Then you go somewhere else and it's a wrestling room. Then you go to a big box gym and there has its own logistics. So what Vince is talking about is this is a man who's, who un, he used the word variables. This is why experience does matter. And it is reasonable to ask somebody, who have you trained when they, when they start bringing up science and they go, oh, well, you can't target the person, deal with the argument. I understand that it doesn't make a claim right or wrong, but it gives you perspective on how applicable and it does that shit that you're arguing about really matter because you are not considering variables of the real world. And this is a man who has, has been in so many different um, environments and situations that he's dealt with and seen there and done that. He has all these variables in mind that he's, that he's looking at and that is his evaluation procedure and that is my evaluation procedure versus getting caught up in the nuances of did this person use the right context of the term force vector you know what i mean and it's like oh well the claim doesn't sound really good because um you know you need to be a little bit more intellectually honest it's like not this ain't a journal folks you know what i mean i'm not writing a journal article i'm posting on facebook i'm doing a podcast we're not going to play by those rules. So I'm kind of, you know, covering a spectrum here, but I'll, I'll kind of close with this. One of my favorite stories that has nothing to do with fitness about experts who haven't trained anybody sounds good on paper and then considering variables and the, the consequences. I love the term consequential knowledge. And he said, and Vince said it, he said, it's, I, you didn't say action, but I used it action response response. And what he means is their response to what your action was, and then your response to what their response was. That's what nobody considers in all these social media arguments and when they throw it out there. Here's a great example. This is a real story, but I'm not gonna, uh, from history, but I'm not gonna get into it. So one culture um, brought, kind of took over another culture, and they had a snake problem. So the smarty pants people in the government said, oh, well, we can, we can solve this snake problem. The locals know how to deal with these snakes. So all we're going to do is we're going to offer basically a ransom for the snakes. For every snake that you kill, we'll pay you a given amount of money. And then, boom, you know, we'll incentivize people to kill these snakes. Boom, no more snake problem. Uh-uh-uh. What did the locals do? Bred the snakes. They started breeding, they started breeding the snakes and bringing them in and, and killing them. And they never killed the ones that were actually there, right? Now, if you're uh, – this is the whole idea of – Experts and scientists have expertise, but a lot of times they don't have any friggin' wisdom because they haven't actually had to apply this stuff. And a lot of times they still get paid whether, whether how well it works or, or not, right? So, you know, this is, this is somebody right here who's got a lot of wisdom. And that is something that we need to value a lot more and not just look past the whole, oh, it's not the basics, so uh, they're just trying to be cool. Well, it goes into like what we, so like with a lot of these other roundtables we've been doing, we've actually talked about like the jump into, essentially people are jumping into online training now and they're doing all these bodyweight exercises and they're kind of dipping their feet in now, but it's exposing the fragility of the fitness industry as kind of our current generation because you're essentially describing a moment in which you're not specific to one thing. You're specific to principles, but your experience and wisdom has allowed you to kind of adapt to stuff. 
where I don't know the, the fragility now is people aren't adapting all this stuff because they're own they're so specific in their one thing. And mm-hmm. it's cool because you're bringing you two on and you're saying, yeah, nothing's changed because we're doing the same shit and training doesn't look any different. Like, yeah, we change a few variables, but we train people in a way that they can be exposed to other stuff and be okay, which I don't think everyone is right now, which is interesting. We have an opportunity. I think the best way to just go ahead, Andrew, go ahead. I'm going to say that, you know, everybody right now has an opportunity. If you are limited in the resources you have to train people online or whatever you're able to do with people uh, virtually uh, and your clients have limited resources, well, you can choose to study and learn and actually master and go in the direction that you guys have always spent time in. It doesn't mean that someone is stuck in barbell mode now forever. If they choose to learn more about the fundamentals of movement and use the tools that they have, they can go forward and have a more robust ability to apply training in different environments, but you've got to choose that. So I hope that some of the people listening, this is going to be a bit of an eye opener and take all the stuff you guys are saying, go, wait a sec, you know what? I'm not very strong in that realm. So maybe I should go and watch some videos here. And you can't train a person in an elevator. It's kind of what, what Nick was saying. And the people that can are, are, are not really too worried right now. Yeah. Yeah. So if I, I, I give a quick, I want to give you guys a quick example of um, something that I used to do to new interns and trainers when I had my uh, two gyms in, in Baltimore. I had one inside of the MMA studio gym that I would train fighters at in the city, Baltimore city. And then I had a, an official gym that I had a, a business partner with Mark Spataro um, in the, in Baltimore County area. So this was what we do in Baltimore County. So um, quick story is I would have this sign that was hanging there that I, that I bought at a, like a flea market from somebody at a pool. And it said it was a no diving sign, right? It was a picture of the person diving. And then of course it had the times when the pool was open. So I cut that off. So here's this random no diving sign hanging at the gym. We used to have it hanging by our climbing ropes. And um, here's why I would do that. So we get these kids in and, um, you know, a lot of times they'd be barbell oriented or kettlebell oriented. And, and um, so I would ask them, you know, basically, you know, oh, you're a big lifter. What are your, what are your totals? Yada, yada. And I would tell them, hey, look, I don't really even bench press. Not that I'm against it. It just kind of bores me. And, you know, I don't really squat above 225. Again, it just kind of bores me. I, don't, I just don't even feel like putting all the dang plates on the thing. I'd rather do other stuff, right? And I'd tell them, I'd say, so you probably you think you're stronger than me. And they go, yeah. So I'd walk them over to the climbing rope. And meanwhile, I've been doing – fairly high level indoor rock climbing for, you know, many years now. And I would just lay on my, sit on my butt, flay my legs out and just rip right up the, the rope, hang there and look at them. And normally I would, I would especially pick the guys who were like the power lift their body, you know, built like a tick. Right. And um, so I knew damn well that they couldn't even probably do a, a couple chin ups, much less climb this rope. So I'd stand there and I go, okay, you're next. And I'd come back down real slow and they'd look at me and they'd be like, you know, I can't really do that. Or they would struggle. And I go, somebody ask you again, are you stronger than me? And they go, well, not in this. And I would go, exactly. Because as soon as we said strength, you thought about three friggin' lifts, right? I go, so, and I would make them wear the size. We had a little chain and I'd put the, sh- the sign on. I say, because you live in the shallow, shallow end of what your view of strength is. You're straight, your view of strength is shallow. So you're in the no diving section. And it was just something stupid we'd do. Make them wear it for about five minutes. And um, it's just something that got around the people. It's little fun stuff that you do with interns. Hustle like, them. They call yeah, that hustling. Yeah, it's like it's like it's hazing without any sort of real bad hazing. You know, it's just kind of fun. But it was a lesson, and it was kind of like, a, oh yeah, like it's my. I tell them none of my competitive climbers that come in here, it, when they say they don't feel strong today, none of them are even thinking about a barbell, right? So you have to get out of your out of your own bias. So when I say the industry has kind of regressed, I noticed it in about 2005, starting to happen when the kettlebell craze got really big and the CrossFit craze. 
it's good that we brought barbells back into the mix and started getting away from circus acts. But the regression is, is it went too far and people's view of strength training and what works and what's effective is became so much smaller and they became a lot less versatile. And like Vince said, they're not really thinking about principles. It's principles about overload. It's not about using a dumbbell. Your body doesn't care if it's a dumbbell, a band or a barbell. It's just, it's just reacting to force, right? So all we're doing is just figuring out different ways to put force across tissues. That's all resistance training is. So when Vince talks about principles, that's what he sees. He sees the matrix. He sees the ones and zeros. He doesn't see a bunch of people in suits and sunglasses. He sees what's behind that, and he can put force across the joints that he wants and find as many ways to load patterns that he wants, whatever patterns he wants, in a given environment. Sometimes you are more limited, but the more tools that you have, the more versatility you have to fit different environments and also fit different individuals because we know that not everybody's fit to do certain barbell or dumbbell exercises. What do you do then? Right? So that's why you see a lot of this versatility that we talk about and toys in the background. None of it is for just being different. <laughs> and, none of, and we're all still sticking to the basics, the basics of principles. Well, it's, yeah. it's kind of, if, if, if I think back, like 2003, you're talking about that. Like, that's kind of when I got into strength training and all this stuff. And I've had to undo a lot of those thought processes now as I'm getting more mature. But it's interesting because, like you said, the fitness industry has changed and everyone's in the shallow end of the pool for their thing. And that seems to be the norm. And that's why we want to bring on people like you so you can describe, we're doing well because of these things. We have these things because of this. And I think in my wisdom that I'm more prepared for this shit than you are. And I think that this is going to make a lot of people realize how unprepared they are to actually train people when they're out of their shallow end. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, yeah and, so, and what that, that yeah. point right there. Yeah. That point right there, Dean is probably the most important aspect because what I was going to say a moment ago, logistics need to be universal. And what I mean by that is like what Nick brought up. What you can do at home should transfer to what you can do in the weight room or in a, in a fitness facility. What you do in a fitness facility, you should be able to transfer in whatever scale to be able to do at home or in travel. And I think a lot of um, expertise, if you will, is based off of purely one way of doing things. You'll have people that are all about um, don't train with any equipment, just do body weight calisthenics. And you see a lot of that stuff on YouTube and they would not know how, if you were to talk, you know, ask them, what is, what principles is this based on other than just getting tired? Because they, and they wouldn't have an answer. They would just say, well, it's exercise. You're burning calories. And that would be the end of the conversation. And then you have those that are dependent on a commercial facility. And you go, okay, what is this based off of? And they go, well, that machine over here, and this is the best way to do this. This is the best way. They give you a lot of, that's the best exercise for biceps. That's the best exercise for this. That's the, And it would all be dependent on what's inside the four walls. And what we're doing is looking at it from a purely, what is coaching competence? Coaching competence is not about perfection. It's about responding to imperfection. And we're in the ultimate imperfect environment right now. And that goes right back to what Andrew was talking about earlier, saying, well, how are, you re how are you reacting or responding to what we're dealing with? The good thing for me is that it's actually taking me back to 1983. Because when I got my start, I got my start in the space of my garage. And I've actually told the clients that I'm working with in my garage, I said, this is like a, the first time in 
30 plus years that I've had an opportunity to literally go back to the future. And I'm back in this place where I've got bands. I've got, I didn't have kettlebells in 83. Um, Pavel had not arrived on shore yet. But um, the thing is, I did have dumbbells. I had had a barbell that I used in a corner, which we now call a landmine. You know, things like that, but it was all based off of body weight. Um, I had uh, a makeshift sandbag, and now I've got um, one of those commercial sandbags. The point is that everything that I had in 83, I could use today in 2020. And how many coaches could say that if you were to take all their toys away and say, you know, you can't use this because they base their expertise on the identification with a, either a certain system of training, even if it's, quote, the Olympic list. And Olympic list is a sport. So we're not talking about um, taking Olympic lift as a sport and demeaning it and saying it's not important. If Olympic lifting is your sport, if powerlifting is your sport, then you already know who you are, that you're not really part of this conversation. Just like if running a marathon is your sport. Okay, well, yeah, that gives you great endurance, but I'm not going to have my clients try to go out and run a, not even a 10K just to get fitter. There are other ways of making that happen. If they, cho if they chose to run the 10K or they chose to run every, you know, throughout the week, that's one thing. But I'm not going to depend on running as an example or training for a marathon to think, okay, that's the best way to get fit. It's just like the best way to develop explosiveness for an Olympic lifter is the Olympic lifts. And, yes, it is effective. Is it essential? Is it a principle in and of itself? Absolutely not. So what we have to do is – as professionals is pull it back and go, what does my client, what is the primary objective here? And again, using Nick's analogy or uh, metaphor of being in an elevator. Okay, I'm in an elevator and we're gonna be in here for a while, we're stuck. Um, you wanna work your chest, you wanna work your back, you wanna work, I mean, we should be able to come up with the basic patterns and apply an exercise for an upper body push, an upper body pull, um, a, a hip hinge, and then also a knee dominant exercise. If you want to do anti-rotation, you can do that in, in an elevator as well. You get, and the phone. Things, you get the phone out of it. Yeah, exactly. But the manual resistance will play a lot into that. Um, and, then, um, and then you get a lot of diaphragmic um, um, benefit by screaming real loud. Um, they, it, go, it goes back again where, okay, Everybody goes, well, what about, I want to go outside the box. I hear more young coaches talk about going outside the box than I hear experienced guys. And you ask and you go, well, what is inside the box that you're going outside of? And see, and, that's, and I know that that sounds like it's kind of a, a cute, almost condescending question. But the reality is, is that, okay, what, where do you, when you say you're going to go outside of something, what is it that you call inside and they don't know how to answer that they don't know what we're talking about when it comes down to basic principle they find just a cute way of doing a, a certain exercise whether it's adding chains or um you know standing on one leg while you do certain exercise i mean it, the, we all know the examples of that are endless and it goes right back to principles they've got to be universal they've got to be something that we can apply across the board no matter if in an elevator or if one of the most premier fitness facilities that has every imaginable machine and every gadget available, we should be able to train the same person the same exact way. 
And then also going back to which tools you go, okay, a lot of it's going to be psychological. A lot of it's going to be personal preference. There's nothing wrong when you deal with real life people. There are plenty of female clients that would prefer to never have to, that I work with, that would prefer to never touch a barbell. Now, do I, do I take the approach of like, no, you're going to have to learn to use a barbell. You need to tough it out. And like, well, I'm going to lose them as a client. I mean, they're going to find somebody else that's going to find what they're looking That's going to give them what they're looking for. So we have to approach it from the same standpoint. I mean, I have clients that hate kettlebells. I have clients that hate bands. I mean, it's just, you have to look at it as how can I apply this for this specific primary objective? What are, what's available? What is the best tool available? What other options do I have if needed? And then make your decision based off of that. And then it goes right back to, then you got to respond to the, to what comes from that. Once you make an application, how are you going to respond in life? How are you going to sustain? How are you going to continue to keep that client interested and progressing? Because if you lose their interest, I don't care how scientifically sound and proven and what certifications you have using a certain tool, you're going to lose the client first psychologically. You're going to, you're going to lose engagement. You're going to lose buy-in and then you'll lose them totally as a client. Yeah. Yeah. You can't keep them consistent. And if you can't, if you can't keep them interested. I mean, it's one thing, you know, I mentioned, you know, it's not about entertaining the clients that get them better, but that, but that comes from understanding when I say it's not about entertaining them, I'm saying that, you can't just take a random program and throw it. You know, there are a lot of random programs out there that people come up with and they, and they pride themselves on. We do something different every day. And you're like, okay, what is the objective of that workout every day? Well, getting them tired, getting them, making them sweat, making them, making them feel like they're, they're feel better about themselves than they did if they were not active. And it's more fun for them than going on a walk. It's more fun for them than getting on a lithical track. Okay. That is not training. That is activity, and there's nothing wrong with activity, nothing wrong with exercise, but there's not an element of principality there that you can sustain so that you can make assessments of, is this working or not? Because if it's always about, did I get them tired, then what, what is it based off? Of? It's, I could give a five-year-old a whistle and tell them to scream and yell at somebody and get them tired. I that's how long it would take. 30 seconds to say, scream and yell at this person, tell them to go run and do, you know, X amount of whatever. And they get tired. That's not a training of that. I'll, uh, actually I want to j- two real quick points here. I like what you just said about getting tired. Occasionally you'll get every client or every trainer has clients who like walking out of a session, tired, feeling tired. And there could be a part of you that says, well, I don't want to make you just tired. So therefore I'm just going to do stuff that makes you stronger. But also, like you said, you want to give the clients what they want. So what I'll do is I'll use some solid training principles to do something that gives them training effect that leaves them tired at the end. Now I'm going to go back to a point you're making about marathon running and barbell sports, Olympic lifting. I like to think about it in this terms. I like to make sure that people understand there's a difference between uh, the training to get better and an actual sport or performance or a, a feat of performance like a one at max lift. So I always use the example for conditioning. If I have someone who likes hockey, then hockey becomes an excellent source of conditioning for a person who loves hockey. I would never tell someone who's never played hockey to go play it for their cardio because too much injury risk. 
right? Broken teeth, concussions, all this kind of crap that can happen. But if someone loves it, cool. Olympic lifting for sport, there is Olympic lifting training and then there is the high-end performance of your actual sport. There is more inherent risk with endurance, marathon running, ultra marathon running. There is more risk with playing hockey. There is more risk with competition, powerlifting, Olympic lifting. So you have to distinguish competition and its risks because you love it and it's your sport versus the risks you will accept during training. They're two different things. What about, what about like, you're not very Canadian there. Like you're telling people not to play hockey. <laughs> I'm telling people not to pick up hockey. What about uh, like stick handling and like, just like stick handling the puck for fun. Well, be your, your foot background is football. It'd be like saying, okay, we're going to go out and send you to play football yeah. to get your conditioning work or rugby. Yeah, what's wrong with that? The person comes back with a concussion, right? <laughs> well, it's good. And I use the example too. Anytime that I talk on this topic, I use the example of swimming. And I go, okay, say if, for argument's sake, say if there's some paper that came out that said that um, endurance swimmers or long distance swimmers were the fittest cardiovascularly the most fit athletes on the face of this earth. Just say if that study came out and we're looking at the paper right now. Now, would that be justification for me taking a group of non-swimmers and taking them, and I live here right on the, the water, and taking them to out to the beach and saying, okay, you see that buoy out there? Go. Okay, I mean, the point is, is that you're going to have some people that can swim, some people that can swim very well. You're not going to have many great swimmers out of that. Certainly not distance swimmers that can swim in open water. But my 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 thought process or my justification is based off of well, this will make you the fittest that you can be. Well, the reality is you're going to have a bunch of dead from drowning people, and and so it, you play into the same thing. And I know this is an, an extreme example. But if you look at Olympic lifting in the same vein and you ask a strength coach, you know, look at this kid over here doing, you know, a power clean. Does that even remotely? Well, you know, he's he'll get better at it as he does more. I mean, you've got a group of, you know, 50 to 100 kids, especially in a high school environment, trying to learn the Olympic lifts. It's like trying to learn to swim in open water. It's it's just that you're going to have some that are outliers that are really good naturally at it from day one. And, and I've, I've worked with high school programs, so I understand exactly the environment I'm talking about. Those in these are big high schools with good athletes. It's very, very few small percentage of guys that can connect with Olympic lifting, certainly when it's not the primary part of their activity. I mean, it's not, it'd be one thing if it was me coaching a group of Olympic lifters, but you're working with football players who are doing the Olympic lifts. So the majority of their time is going to be doing things outside of the Olympic lifts, not just in the weight room, but on the field um, in other aspects of their, of their work, running and so forth. So it's, it goes right back to why are we, why did we choose this? Well, it's because Olympic lifters are A, B, and C and you go, okay, that's great. Okay. Well, swimmers are this, this, and this um, marathon runners are this. And again, the reason for me bringing something like this up is to just, eliminate the legalistic thought process of you must do this. You must do this. You have to do this. If you want this, unless it's a specific sport that can never be an accurate statement. 
in training. You just, you cannot say you have to do this if you want big arms. You have to do this if you want big legs. You have to do this if you want to be explosive. You have to do this if you want, you cannot make those statements. They are options that you can use and we can learn from the Olympic lift world. We can learn from um, the, the world of endurance training. We can learn from all the different sports that are available to us but we don't need to all of a sudden turn that into, uh, again, use the word, a, a legalistic way of approaching the way that we train not only athletes, but people in general. I mean, it's got, always got to be, what's the primary objective? What is needed for me to attend to that objective? And what is available to me? What is the path of least risk with greatest return on that investment as far as what we're doing? And that, if you can't answer that, if you are a professional working with live human beings and you can't answer that, you need to go back to the drawing board. You need to go back and learn because it's not something that you can just approach from, I took a kettlebell class and I know all about kettlebells and I'm a kettlebell expert. So everybody's going to learn how to do kettlebell snatches. Everybody's going to learn how to do this with a kettlebell. Everybody's going to learn to sleep with a kettlebell. Everybody's going to, that is not only limiting to your, to your uh, professional you know, status, but it's also potentially injurious to a whole bunch of clients or a whole bunch of clients that will end up being former clients. I like that. And there's an, another element to all the stuff that's sort of packaged up in there is survivorship bias. If you are a fitness professional who takes a particular modality you, you, and a sport you love, and powerlifting is a great example, so is Olympic lifting. Well, and you use that as evidence to say, well, these are, this is the best way to get someone strong. Well, it's a very narrow view and you're using barbells, but the people who are very strong in Olympic lifting and powerlifting are also examples of survivorship bias. They're the people who never got hurt along the way. And obviously there's a lot of injuries in those realms. They're the people who are genetically best suited to it. They're the people who loved it and wanted to pursue it. So it's not a good justification to say, well, in order to achieve this goal, you must hold a barbell in your hands and lift as much weight as possible. Yeah. 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 If, I, if I can add a couple of things here, this is actually a great example of, um, what I said about, about being Neo in the matrix and seeing one going from seeing, you know, guys in suits and glasses to ones and zeros, the, the suits and glasses guy, um, is the, is the lift. It's memorizing the lift. The ones and zeros is saying it's not how to do the lift. It's, and it's not, why do you, it's, it's, why does it work? It's an exposure. It's an, it lifts are exposures and it's an exposure to a stimulus. We always, we always think about what we do to the exercises, right? What are you doing to the barbell? I always tell people, think in reverse. Think about what you're, it's doing to you because that's what you're adapting to. And if you're not playing the sport or if you're not competing in Olympic lifting and the reason why you're using it is the benefit of how you are adapting to it, right? It's principle of specificity. Um, the body adapts to the, to the way it's loaded. It's basically just a coordinated explosion, explosive action. That's why it works. Now, the question is, going back to what the principles Vince was talking about, what other ways could I create a coordinated effort in an explosive action? Medicine ball throws, jumps. Okay, do I have access to barbells? No. What's my options left? Explosive medicine ball throws, jumps, and not medicine ball throws from your knees because that's not a coordinated action of the lower body and the upper body anymore. Right? So here's you start to, you start to analyze, and then you can see, is it the same? No, but why do I need it the same? Because I'm not trying to get that skill. Right. So it, people look, they, they, they just kind of jump from A to B and it's like, well, why did that work? 
and oh, well, this person doesn't need to do Olympic lifts, right? So this goes to it, they just need to have a stimulus that creates a similar stimulus to get the similar adaptions. Total body synchronized explosive. What other things do that, right? Now, what will my environment entail? It, it's really not that difficult. It's just that we do everything from memorization. And we do everything about what we think backwards. What are we doing to the barbell? No, it's what's the barbell doing to you, right? I know I'm not going to steal Vince's thunder. He'll have a say. He has a cool saying for that in, in a second. But the other thing too is that let's say, let's take it away from Olympic lifts for a second. It's also a different perspective, right? So if I get somebody who doesn't squat very low, a lot of trainers might be thinking, how can I make the session about getting them to squat lower? My thing is, how many different ways can I find to load them up with the squat depth that they've got right now? Yeah. Right. And so can I go fast? Can I go slow? Can I go pauses? You know what I mean? Can we, can we do, um, you know, short range reps right in that area? What, what can we do? How can we dip whole weights? So it's a different in perspective because I look at it and I go, what's going to give them the most return. It's the most, they're here to get fitter with me to have a training effect would it be nicer if they got a little lower? Yes, but if we want to go to the research, there's a lot of research that shows the more they do this, the lower that they're going to get. But just playing around with a bunch of mobility stuff is probably not going to change all that much because I don't even know if they've got if that's a if that's a structural issue. Or there's a million reasons why they could do that, but at least I'll make the most of their time, and I could get improvements in that range because I am still using the the range that they've got anyway. So um, that's the difference. And that's why you start to get creative. Here, I can load this with bands. I can load this this way. I can hold it this way. It's basically saying, if you only are restricted to this type of movement, because that's your ability, then I have to get creative with loading it in different ways to keep that person interested. So now the trainer who's thinking, oh, well, like Ben said, it's not about entertaining the client. That, I'm not talking about entertaining the client. I'm, I always, my favorite saying is, I don't like to say, Training is a combination of what clients need and what they want because we all know the trainers that say that never really care what the client wants and they give them what the trainer thinks they need, right? And interestingly, the proof is in the pudding. You find a trainer who happens to love kettlebells, all their clients happen to need, and I'm doing quotation marks, kettlebells. You find a powerlifting trainer, all their clients happen to need more barbell. Hmm, that's interesting. Right. So is it really about the need is based off of whatever the client, the training bias is. But my favorite, my saying is give them what they need to achieve what they want. And what that means is they're pointing to an end goal. And the goal may just be right now, I'm currently not working out all that much. And I need to just up my activity on a regular basis. So you need to find a way that keeps me interested enough that's going to have me exercising at least three times a week, you know, otherwise I'm not going to do it. And I'm going to be sedentary, right? Maybe that is the goal. The goal is not always some sort of performance metric of how many chin-ups you can do or what your body fat is or yada, yada, yada. So that, so when you look at it in that way, it's what do they need to achieve what they want? Okay. They want to be more explosive. Now what's the environment? Okay. I'm in a wrestling room or I'm outside and we don't, or they're in a basement. They don't have, and they, we train them outside or in the basement. They don't have barbells. Okay, now how do I train them? And then what are their abilities? And that decides the exercises. So I have a big pot of exercises to work with. That's where all the variations come in. And then you start chipping away at what you can do based off of those parameters I just provided. What Vince is talking about is most people go completely backwards. I like this. 
this gets this result. Now we're just going to try to keep hammering you into this environment. Um, and that's the go goes back to the whole idea of, um, oh, you can't squat that low. So now we're going to make half the session about getting you to squat lower. If I don't, and I might not even know if that's ever going to happen that much to me and to him, it's how many different ways can we maximize, get you to, you know, can we load the squat that you've got right now? And maybe we'll do some mobility stuff in the beginning or as active rest or recovery to help you with that range of motion to fill in any gaps that we think are maybe there. So it's a, it's a fundamentally opposite. It's a, it's bottom up versus top down approach. That's actually a good way to segue. Like, so when I picture this, I picture like trainers listening to this or people listening to this. And basically you've been told, telling us there's this, I think uh, you were talking, Vince was talking about a box and you can kind of see that iteration as everyone's created certifications or everyone has systems that kind of put people in boxes. And now I don't even think people know that they're in that box. So I guess if someone's listening to it and they're li listening to you two and being like, wow, like how the hell did you start thinking like this? Because I think that'd be helpful to me. How would they go about getting there? Assuming the fact that they are in a box and they don't know about these principles, like how would you, how would you, I guess, what advice would you give to like start going into the matrix um, and start seeing the zeros and ones as opposed to seeing agents? I would say think, think in, think in what you have to actually accomplish first and then worry about, then worry about how to explain it properly and dealing with all the, 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 uh, thinkerati on, on Facebook and trainers who are going to ding you at every level and just think, okay, get, put yourself, do what, do what fighters do. The best fighters do, especially MMA, cause I've been training MMA guys for years and done some myself. You do situational sparring. Right, so sometimes you just basically say, "Okay, this person's got your leg; they got you up against the cage. They're almost going to get a single. Go right." And here's how you react: you do situational work. So, even if your environment, let's say you're a strength coach at a school and you already have your big facility and you've got 25 squat racks and you've got all that, well, yeah, you can't obviously force yourself to take two athletes and say, "Okay, let's take you to the dorm and go train you." Your 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 you know athletic director is going to go, "What the hell are you doing? We got this 10 million dollar facility." Right, but what you can do is you can do thought experiments with yourself. You can get down and you can go, okay, let's say, you know what I mean. We have a situation now. Everybody's forced into it because we're all living in Coronaville, right? But the, if but you can give examples of, well, let's say we have this. We have this amount of space, this equipment available, and this ability. What would you do? And here's here's the goal we have to accomplish. And also, by the way, here's what this person's going to stick to, and here's what they're not. Right now, you give me the program. So, and then if you do a bunch of that, you basically do your best to simulate environments that folks like myself and Vince have spent a lot of years doing, but you're also starting to prepare yourself, right, to, uh, to, to, for those situations. And for example, like a lot of folks, they would say, especially if you said, well, you're going to work with a diverse population, but mostly people who are ex-athletes and some, you know, various athletes who are trained what would be the first two pieces of equipment you would get for your gym? And of course, everybody, you know, for the most part, they're going to say a barbell and probably that means and a squat rack, right? Or at least some sort of rack. My first question is, what's the square footage? Right. And the reason why I ask that is because a barbell is one of the logistically worst pieces of equipment to have because it's, I'm going to speak in, in, um, you know, uh, American freedom units feet, but, um, seven feet long, and if I'm training two people at the same time or I'm training them and I don't have a lot of space, which is what a lot of trainers are dealing with on a budget, then I'm losing at least two feet on each side of that barbell, right? Because you're not going to – if my phone is the end of the barbell, no one's going to stand right here while the barbell's moving up and down and do bicep curls if I'm training a husband and wife, right? 
you're going to stand way over there. So I'm, I'm giving up about 12 feet with that. That's number one. Number two, that's in use. I'm not talking about in storage when you can stand the thing up. Number two, if I'm training both of them at the same time and I got this partner thing going, it takes so long to strip the plates off and add the plates on to different strength levels. So anybody who's done semi-private training with various populations knows a barbell is one of the worst pieces of equipment to have because it's a logistical nightmare. And what's the biggest in reason why people go to the emergency room for weight rooms? Dropping weights on their foot. The last thing you want is three different clients constantly pulling heavy plates back and forth, right? So if we, you only think about this when you've been in those environments and you have to actually make decisions. So this is going to kind of tie it all together. I always say, it's easy to have opinions. It's harder to make decisions. And when your career depends on it and you have to make something happen now, the explanations for it of all the things, basically all the things people prioritize, especially the scientific thinkerati on social media, most of those people, like, they don't train many people. And I'm saying that doesn't mean that their, their facts aren't there. But how practical are those facts? Because I can tell their perspectives aren't there because their priorities are out of order. Their priorities are how well you say things versus what's going to resonate with the client and what's going to work. And when I say work, I mean logistically, realistically work in a given environment. So you have to put yourself in those situations, whether it be in the real world or do thought experiments. And that's the best way you can expand yourself. And you also realize that there are no perfect programs. Everybody say that. There are trade-offs. So anytime anybody can criticize and go, well, you weren't able to get max strength on that. Well, yeah, but I, I don't have a barbell and I got a fairly strong person here. So I'm stuck with higher reps and I'm stuck with doing some you know, pauses, but you show me something better. And they, they normally can't, right? So they'll go, well, just because my answer is not better than yours doesn't mean yours is, is right. No, no, no. I'm not saying mine is the best way to do it, but uh, if you don't give me an alternative, then I can't criticize yours and you're going to find I can criticize yours just as easy because you also made a trade-off. And that's why they always get scared to provide solutions is because you don't give me something to weigh your trade-offs versus the trade-offs that I weighed and to see if I actually did a better job of weighing the trade-offs given the situation. That's the part that everybody leaves out in these thinkerati Facebook arguments. Another thing that's worth too for a lot of trainers and their clientele how many people right now because they don't have their preferred optimal uh, training modality barbell being a good example instead of regressing into something else they're actually just doing nothing at all and they fall into this very dichotomous on and off mode and yeah if, if they can pluck well, do nothing well, well what they're doing is they've identified with that form of training in other words their identification is in their um their one rm in a squat or their one rm in a bench press and they sense that you know without that without me being able to attend to that i'll lose my identity and i know that's a little deeper than we want to go with this but a lot of that is from that because it makes no rational sense to say okay i'm out of my typical training environment um, instead of doing something that's going to bridge that gap that's going to at least put me in the best position to resume when I get that opportunity. They don't do anything at all. It's basically the, you know, um, I blow out one tire. Well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to slice the other three. You know, I'm in control because I'm not doing anything now. You know, it's that 
it's that um, I'm off my diet, so I'm just going to blow it all together, or I'm, you know, I'm, you know, pissed off because I'm not able to do what I normally do, so I'm not going to do anything. And and I think that that gives people a certain, as kind of weird as it sounds or bizarre as it sounds, it gives them a sense of control in that they're doing that themselves. They're choosing not to do anything as opposed to looking at it as an opportunity to maybe shore up some areas that they've, they've either avoided, ignored, or just um, been lazy about. I mean, there's plenty of things that you can do. And, and, and it goes back to, you know, we're talking about where I'm training now compared to my 3,500 square foot training facility is that when I'm there and I've got everything, um, all my, you know, my Cybex functional trainer, and I've got, I rarely will choose to go to the bands as an example, when I've got access to pulleys, and I always ask myself why, and I go, well, because it's there. It's there, and I would assume that the client would rather use the $8,000, um, excuse me, uh, yeah, $8,000 Cybex Bravo than a set of resistance bands. Well, now I have to use the bands, and I'm realizing I'm getting if maybe at least the same, if not better, response because I'm still training the same principle, the same variable that needs to be addressed. I'm getting that training effect and actually the response from people that I work with both in my facility and in my garage are that my body feels better. I love these workouts better. I have better clarity about what we're accomplishing, about what we're doing. And then it goes right back to the same thing about um, you asked Nick about what advice would you give? I believe it was Dean. You said you asked that. What advice would you give if somebody doesn't understand what's in the box? And one of the best things, investments that I made is training with Tim Lark, and you guys know, um, you know Target Focus Training. Um, if you're not familiar with him, you can certainly look him up. I mean, he's, he's, to me, he's the foremost expert in self-defense, self-protection. All of his teachings are based off of you. Find out that you, you got to know the target. You got to know the tools you have available, but it's the circumstance you're in that will determine the target and the tools. And that spoke to me when I spent, it was like five or six years ago when I first met Tim. And that was that eye-opening experience for me as a fitness professional in a sense where I was like, that's what I've never been able to fully grasp that I always knew was the right way to approach what I do, that light came on. It was that, okay, it's all about just the tools, the target. It doesn't matter which tools. It just is the target, the tools, and the objective. The circumstance that you're in, the position you're in, what environment you're in, it's all just there and you work with that. Me having to train people in my garage with bands and body weight for the most part, I've looked at it purely from the perspective of I don't have to look over across the room and go, well, we're not going to use that now. We're going to use this instead. Now it's what do I have available for using this? And the benefit goes exponentially to a whole nother level compared to people that, for instance, go bands don't work. Bands don't build muscle. You can't get strong with bands. You can't. Well, those people are the ones that have never committed to it and they've always seen it purely as, as Nick says, as the B team, as the, oh, it's just something you do when you don't have anything else available to you. So a lot of the tools that really work, we discount purely based off of, we've got other things that we're more familiar with that are sexier, that are, you know, more high end. 
available to us. So we're going to use those instead. Bands is, are just literally those little flimsy tools that are left in, over in the corner until, you know, we need them for rehab or something like that. Why are powerlifters going and throwing bands on the barbells to enhance their training effect, right? So yeah, I thought right. we were throwing, I thought we were going to throw a Nick one. Like, Nick, do you know anything about like bands and like making them sexy? Like, <laughs> oh yeah, he does. Yeah. <laughs> he does. Nick's and, and they're the best bands. They're the best bands. Yeah. Nick knows that. I told Nick he Nick, has his own I feel like we segued to this perfectly. Yeah. Well, so, so let me, um, I appreciate all you still talking about giving the NT loops a, a plug. So I'll, I'll say, I want to say something that's a little bit broader. So here's a good example. This is actually, it's ready. We bring this up because principles like using in Vince's term and basics, right? Ba and this is something I tell you, I go, basics are not exercises. Basics are principles. People think basics are barbell or push-ups or whatever. No, those are non-complex exercises. But principles, you know, like Vince said, they're, they're universal, right? They, they go anywhere. So now here's the difference. People will look at a concept of dynamic effort training, which is basically fast reps, like, you know, what powerlifters do, most popularized by Westside Barbell, and they're quite open by saying that that's really just Russian conjugate method stuff. So it's, you know, putting barbells. Now, it's not, so when people think, oh, well, dynamic effort, I have to have a barbell, and I have to have the bands on each side, and I have to have the rack and the bench to do these things. No, that's that's not that's being Neo before he went into the Matrix. That's seeing the, the 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 guys with the glasses that look like FBI agents, right? Now, here's what happens when you go into the Matrix, and now you see ones and zeros. Why does that work? It's just the fact that it, the bands allow you to to move very fast and. If you didn't have a band and you launched a light barbell, the barbell would want to leave your arms, right? Where or dumbbells, whereas the bands stay with you the whole time and and you know keep keep that not consistent resistance, but doesn't allow the barbell to shoot away from your arms, right? So for lack of the proper term, I'm just going to say that it stays with you, right, while you move fast. It doesn't increase its momentum, and I'm sure there's some physics nerd that's going to go, well, actually. You know, anybody who's the well actually person, you're, I'm sure you're fun at parties and your, your wife or boyfriend probably loves you for that. Um, so that being said, all the, what, why can't I just do that with regular bands? I have a whole article on Teenage Show. I've been doing this for years since like 2000. Set up a, bands with handles at shoulder level behind you, grab them in a press position and just press them as fast as you can. That's dynamic effort. It's the same principle applied. I don't need a barbell. I don't even need a friggin' bench. That's number one. Now, number two, here's what's funny. People will, across the board, talk about how important dynamic effort training is and speed strength or all that stuff. How many times have you ever seen anybody do a dynamic effort row, even with a barbell? Never. You know why? Because they never see powerlifters do it, and it doesn't fit the monkey see, monkey do mentality, right? It'll apply across, across the board. So turn around, even if you don't have a barbell, grab the handles now that are attached in your doorway at shoulder level and rip rows as fast as you can, you know? And so the concept is move fast, use bands to allow you to move fast and work on your strength speed or, you know, whatever, you know, part of the force velocity curve, however you want to explain it, right? It, it allows you to work in an element of strength that's not done by using really heavy lifts, all right? Let's say that. So the fact that that's the difference. When you see the principle, you see through it, you go, well, why can't I apply this to other movements? Because it works. If I want to increase my strength speed, bingo. Now, why do I need a barbell or a bench to do it? I, I just need a band and some and speed. And that, that's just the effort. So that's the difference. And that's so hopefully, and uh, Vince, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think that's pretty much what you mean by looking at principles. The principles are 
I'm moving fast. Now, the question is, how do I load the pattern I want to load fast? And then what tools do I have available to do that, right, at home? So you could do a whole dynamic effort workout at home with a couple sets of bands. Yeah, there's no, no question about it. And, and usually the people that say bands don't work, and I'm talking about the experts that say bands don't work, they're always going to look and point at those that would probably not, the ones that train with bands, say, on a regular basis that look like, like they don't work out at all and, you know, that put their stuff on YouTube and so forth about, you know, um, the at-home fitness workout and so forth. Well, first of all, look at the program design that this person is putting up there as far as being a, an expert using resistance bands. It's a general fitness program for the most part. Is there's no specific objective other than again goes back to activity and exercise. And again, we all agree that's important. Go for a walk, burn some calories, things like that. That's great. But to get a training effect, you have to have a specific mindset in a specific, for instance, to build muscle, intramuscular tension is the language that your muscles speak. It's like learning a, a, a foreign language. You, you think you're communicating with somebody. If they don't speak your language, it doesn't matter how hard you're trying. It's, they're not going to understand what you say. Muscles respond to intramuscular tension. You can create intramuscular tension with resistance bands. As long as you understand the properties, the innate properties of a resistance band, meaning that it's progressive resistance, variable resistance that increases as you go through a range of motion. So you have to understand it's beyond the scope of this to explain exactly how you do that for every exercise. But it is not only possible, it's something that you can definitely do with with a training program for bodybuilding and yeah if you're an olympic lifter you need a barbell if you're a power lifter you need a barbell if you're training for a specific effect meaning strength or hypertrophy you can do that with resistance bands and a, a conversation i had um it's been within the last year with um, a guy with perform better rob Losorsa, who's a good friend of mine and we were talking about exercise equipment and we're talking about how and i said well when guys when when other trainers or fitness facility owners ask me about equipment, I said, and I didn't think of it at the time as being too, um, too wise of a statement. I thought it was more about common sense. I said, I always ask or always advise them, purchase equipment for efficiency, not proficiency. Again, efficiency, not proficiency. Now, what does that mean? It means that if it's helping your efficiency as a coach, then it's a good equipment move as far as a purchase goes. If it's something that you think is going to give you something that you don't already have, meaning from the standpoint of being able to coach principles, it's a waste. You've got to learn. It goes right back to what Nick said. You've got to be able to train in an elevator, in the old phone booth. You've got to be able to do um, all that you need to do in a very small space with no external loading other than your body weight, which is not external, but nothing other than just that. And then certainly you add a set of bands to that and you go to a whole nother place. Um, one other thing I, that uh, we're, and again, this is related, but at the same time, I'll, I'll um, if I don't mention this, uh, Don Ross, who was a, and, and Nick, you probably remember Don, Don was a, um, a competitive bodybuilder, a wrestler back in the 70s, mm -hmm. early 80s and wrote for Iron Man Magazine and um, Muscle Mag. He wrote an article, and I was fortunate enough to have 
a ongoing relationship with him, conversations. He helped me a lot. So I learned a lot from the bodybuilding world on how to think of a training effect for not only athletes, but general population, because who trains for the training effect more than bodybuilders? It's literally about how this affects my body to get the response that I need. You can make the argument that, you know, athletes train purely from a standpoint of performance in the weight room, how much they can move, and they just hope that that helps their performance on the field. A bodybuilder is purely about what I do in the, in the gym has got to give me the benefit that I need in my body or it's not working. So he wrote this article on the temperament of training. And this, called, and this was back in the early 80s. And this was one of those that caused, again, that, that aha moment where I was like, because he was talking about high reps, low reps, and him observing different bodybuilders that were all, you know, that high level back then and how they would all train differently. But yet, and you can make the argument genetics, um, you know, pharmaceuticals. Okay, yeah, put that aside. They all trained in a way that benefited them. And the thing is, they train differently. You'd have extremes. You'd have Mike Mincer and the heavy duty guys, and then you'd have Nimrod King and those guys in the um, early nineties that trained with ultra high reps into the fifties. So you go, okay, what, what is the secret? If you will, it goes right back to what rep performance do you identify? What clicks with you? Meaning that if you're talking about squat depth, not every squat depth is going to be the same. Not every rep tempo is going to be the same. I used to prescribe rep tempos um, in, a, in a way that everything was very rigid by parameters. And now I use it purely as a guideline. Some guys are going to respond better to 15 reps done with a faster tempo. Some guys are going to respond better to six reps with a lower tempo. It always comes, or slower tempo. It always comes back to that intramuscular tension. That's the communication that the muscles need. Same thing with bands, same thing with any tool that you're going to use. It's like, what's clicking for you to be able to get that response? That's where the variation is going to come from. It's not the print. The principles are the same. You still need to stimulate that muscle. But where are you going to get that stimulation from is going to be something that's going to be specific to the individual. And it does have a psychological thing. I've got clients, general clients that I work with, and when I try to get them to go slower, with repetitions on any of the basic exercises we do, it about drives them nuts. And then you have other guys, I try to speed them up and that doesn't click with them. So you've got to be able to assess what is needed for that particular individual and not get hung up on specific um, identification with rep tempos or rep counts. I mean, 15 reps is not the same 15 reps. It's not the same 15 reps. Same thing with 10 reps, six reps, anything else across the board. That's why when you have these studies that come out and go, Okay, higher reps are better for this, or lower reps are better for this. According to what? I mean, what are we looking at? When somebody goes, that's better than that, you go, according to what? Based on what? Compared to what? So we always have to approach it from the, this is what we're dealing with right now. These are the tools we have available. This is what is working. This is what is not as work, not working. So we make the adjustments on the response that we should have without being identified to one way of applying that. And by the way, this book right here, look here, Nick. <laughs> I, I recognize that. There book. we go. Uh, and and I, got, I got to throw this plug in here real quick. Anytime I have a, a young trainer that comes to me, and when I say young trainer, somebody first starting out, and they go, what books do I need to read? Uh, always refer them to Nick's books first. Now you think, well, maybe super training or something like that. 
is mixed books. Why? It's because we're dealing, it goes right back to applications and what is practical. I find that when they deal with that first, they'll ask the right questions. They'll make the right decisions as opposed to trying to get them too much in the sciencey smarty pants aspect. I always direct them to the practical and I find that I get better response from that than approaching it purely from the from um, you know from all the academia and everything that they could get, especially if these are guys that have been through college and they've studied kinesiology and every imaginable um, exercise science um, curriculum that's out there. They always will read Nick's books and go, "Wow, now that's real information I can use." And every one of Nick's books goes in and out of my library like crazy, and I send them to you know buy his books. It's um, I highly recommend it for anybody out there. If you have not read Nick's books, they are different. They are unique in the way that they communicate the very things that we're talking about on this podcast. Feel bad. I'm the only one without a book on camera. Andrew showed his book. I've got yeah. uh, you, got a, you got a man. You got a man button, Dean. That, uh, yeah, that's true. You don't want me to read your book. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm gonna grab this for a sec. So yeah, actually, I'm gonna endorse what Dean said about Nate's books. I've got building muscle and performance, and uh, strength training for fat loss. And these things are great. With, hopefully, what everybody takes from this is is less about being married to certain um, ways of training and more about understanding the basic principles, the philosophies, uh, being robust and resilient. Because obviously, bringing it back to what we're dealing with right now, very, very few of us have anything close to an optimal environment to work with our clients. So the people who are are managing through this better are the ones who are not getting stuck in their ways and their you know, their core philosophy. And they're being more resilient right now. They're doing whatever their clients need to support their clients. Uh, and, you know, we talked about online training a little bit. And Nick, we brought on your recommendation, your friend uh, PJ Street on here. And he was fantastic. And he's actually one of the best people I direct people to when they they want to learn more about not just online training. We've got John Goodman, the Personal Training Development Center, the Online Training Academy. And I think that's a wonderful product. But PJ is great at, you know, like he says, making online training more personal than personal training. So, you know, not everybody might understand what he means by that, but I would suggest going back and listen to that episode and checking out some of the PJ stuff if you want to learn the quality and care involved with just doing a world-class job with uh, over online versus a personal uh, person thing, because that's pretty relevant right now to a lot of us. Uh, let's finish this up just with some, Nick, I'll bring it back to you. Any quick thoughts or philosophy about what to expect on the other side of this as gradually society opens businesses back up again, gyms open back up again, and what the trainers should probably take into consideration for their long-term career success? Oh, I mean, that's a good question. I would say your guess is as good as mine on that one. I can tell you just at least what I, you know, um, what I kind of think. I, de I think that there's going to be the short view um, let's look at, I'm not going to, I'm going to use 9-11 as an example. I am in no way comparing tragedies here or equating. So nobody hit me with any of those. I can't believe he's bringing up. I'm making any comparisons. I'm just going to use something as an example. When 9-11 happened for the first couple years, the heightened security at airports, everybody was cool with, right? Well, you know, we want to stop this kind of terrorist thing. We want to feel safer. And then after a couple of years, everybody started bitching about how long the security lines were and how, how much they hated TSA again, right? Or, the, or TSA's in the U.S. or whatever you call it in Canada or other places, right? The airport security. So what I mean by the short view is there's definitely going to be some fresh in my head recency bias um, concerns 
that when they people start going back into gyms and working with trainers and whatnot. But I think after a while, especially if some vaccines and other things, I think it'll all settle and it'll kind of go back to the, ah, everything's cool kind of deal, right? It'll be, it'll kind of be forgotten out of sight of the mind. But in the short view, um, I think that people are actually going to get a little bit more concerned with going to bigger box gyms and actually even to larger group training centers. You know, I think that may be opening up more for the private and, and um, types of, and even people who are maybe training people out of their house. So they may want to have trainers come to their house, places where they can control and they're dealing, they're still kind of social distancing, you know, in a, in a way. Um, I think there's going to be more of a demand for that. Now, you know, how right I am remains to be seen. I don't stand to really lose anything if I'm wrong. So again, you can't say, you know, how good that prediction is, but that, to me, that would be my, my guess. I'm, I'm thinking along the same thing. So when this all went down, I set up a home gym very rapidly with the intention of training clients in house now. Right. Vince has alluded to the fact that he's still able to coach clients there. And you know, people are, are getting pretty judgmental about what trainers are or aren't doing. And, and we're not all in the same position. We did live in different cities. Someone who is running, you know, coaching people in their apartment in New York City or in Manhattan. That's a very different thing than, say, rural Alabama or, or another place where maybe this, it, due to all the lockdowns, it never really spread very far. So, and again, if you take reasonable precautions, I think each person's situation, they're, they're the best person to assess the, the safety, the risks, uh, and what the clients want as well. So, I, I, I'm, I'm very opposed to these judgments that are being cast as to what we're all individually doing. But when we come out the other side of this, as the gyms open up, one of my plans is I will operate at my facility uh, that uh, I contract out of. Uh, myself and Dean Somerset are both contractors within uh, the Evolve brand. And it's a smaller thing than the commercial gyms that works a little differently. Our owner is already being very proactive about how he plans to go about the cleaning and, and the spacing and the regulation. So I feel pretty good about that. Some of my clients may not feel ready to do that. So I will run some of my hours at the physical facility and then I'll run some hours at home. And between those two things, I should be able to create a robust enough offering to cater to most of my clientele. And nice. my hope is medium term, I'll be able to you know, get back up to a reasonable amount of you know, income and, and work that I'm, I'm in good shape. But I agree with you in the long term. I think that everybody's worried that, oh, no one will ever go to a, a theater again or on a cruise or, or all this stuff. I, I think the theater business is going to fundamentally be changed. But you know, I think two years, three years, certainly five years looking back, I think humans are going to regress to their, their norms. People will be handshaking normally without talk to it. Uh, and it's not going to be uh, a demolition man. If anybody has gone back and watched that movie uh, and how it, if you know the reference, it's going to be very, very poignant. If you don't, fuck it, go back and watch it. It's an old Stallone movie. Uh, and, uh, and who is it? Wesley, is it, am I, is it Wesley Snipes and Stallone or who talks in that one? Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure that is, right? Anyway, but uh, I think like you think that we will get past the recency bias and then we'll just kind of go back to our old ways. Uh, real quick, I want to make sure that everybody knows where to find both you guys on social media. Vince, you're a little new to us based on these recommendations. So, you know, some of our audience may not be that familiar with you, but they may want to check out more of your work. So where can we find you on social media and uh, website? On Instagram and Facebook, McConnell Athletics, um, or McConnell Performance at, on Instagram. And then... <laughs> Um, McConnell Athletics and also my name, Vince McConnell, on, um, on Facebook. Website, McConnell, M-C-C-O-N-N-E-L-L, 
A-T-H-L-E-T-I-C-S.com, McConnellAthletics.com. And um, I just moved into a new location about five months ago, and so I've still got some some pictures I need to get um, up at the new place and everything. So a lot of what they'll see are stuff that I was, um, the facility I was in for 10 years, but um, that'll be updated here in the next. So it's supposed to be updated right now, but because of the delay with everything going on, I mean, that's, um, let's put that kind of on the back burner. Um, and, and quick, I'll say this with what Nick said, I believe everything Nick said, he, na- he nailed it. And I think um, Andrew, you capitalized on that as well. One thing we have to, as professionals, we have to be aware of are, um, playing extremes in other directions with um, any of the clients that we deal with. Because we're going to have some clients that are going to be very nonchalant, kind of indifferent about the whole thing, getting back, and they're going to say, oh, everything was blown out of proportion and so forth. And then you're going to have the others that are going to want to just tiptoe back into it. And we've got to make sure that we address both aspects of that, you know, from the standpoint of not letting those that are kind of carefree and indifferent cause issues meaning that you know take take the, the measures to clean everything and to make sure everything is is, is safe for those that are concerned going coming back and um you know i'm fortunate that i've got a private facility that i'll be training out of continually and you know that's that's not as different than one of those big box places but even with that i'm going to take measures of having no more than four from a standpoint of a group, a lot of my work is personal training and then semi-private. I believe that you'll see a lot of that. I'm having to, I'm, I'm looking at shortening the workouts from say an hour to 45 minutes so I can get more people in there and spread them out more. I think that's something that a lot of trainers out there need to look at and go, okay, how am I going to schedule, you know, more groups to be able to spread people out? Well, then you need to be able to look at it from a, perspective of efficiency and i believe that anybody can train people we under we follow what we've been talking about today you know with um, efficiency and principles you can train them in 30 and 45 minutes i mean unless you're training a a competitive athlete that's um you know needing to peak for something but um those are things we're gonna have to really look at my training forever i think will come back to the basics i'm not going to be dependent on a commercial gym i think that people realize now that they want the freedom to be able to train at home if they need to and this has brought that out into um, perspective of, you know, what am I going to learn from you, meaning me, the, the trainer, that I can apply at home or I can apply somewhere other than in your facility. And I believe that's something that we can look at and educate our clients even better and give them clarity about some um, the very things that we, that we mentioned on this um, podcast today. Great. Uh, and one more thing I want to make sure, well, Nick will uh, make sure everybody knows the fact that we also want to make sure that they don't want to get these NT loops as well, because those actually are, I, I'm kind of hoping that you saw a surge in business on those because. Well, we, we absolutely did. We sold out two rounds through. Yeah. So ah, great. Yeah. So we, we did a good job of keeping, keeping product in. Um, yeah. So it, well, it's an NT loop. My initials N is in Nancy T is in Tom NT loop.com is where to get them. Uh, we have a blog. You can see all kinds of workouts and we also have, you know, full exercise library on the website. And it's basically a, a, a band that's designed to be more comfortable and stable to go around your body. Super bands are still great. You use super bands for go around barbells, uh, chin up uh, assistance, those sorts of things. But you want to put a band around your body for whatever reason, waist resisted running, deadlifts, that sort of thing, then no band is better on the planet than the, uh, than the NT loops. Awesome. We appreciate the fact that you guys took the time to come and talk to us. 
And I hope that everybody goes and checks up. If they're not already following you guys, start to follow you. And I, I think again, uh, you know, with Nick and, and Vince, you are obviously very much from the same sort of school of thought, but if people want to not get stuck in very rigid thinking, then expose themselves to a lot of the stuff that you've been saying, uh, you know, your other podcast appearances you've been on before, I think going back to that one would be a really good idea. So the way people challenge their preconceived notions and their biases uh, in order to be better fitness professionals, because right now I think the people who are going to come out of this the best are the people who weren't heavily boxed into one single philosophy and one single line of thinking. Guys, thanks so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. And then all the listeners, again, go back and listen to Nick's other episode with us. Go check out the PJ Street one uh, where he talks a lot about online training and uh, and go through our library. We've got a lot of really great people. The recent stuff is all geared towards surviving this big, dirty mess that we're all in. And I hope they provide a lot of value. Reach out to us if you have any questions. Take care. Shut up and sit down.